for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. It's always a delight to just talk about how we leave a legacy for generations to come. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. It's been able to change into a time of my life that I am grateful for. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number six, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and this is a special episode where we're going to break formula for a little bit. I'm going to take the opportunity to tell you a little bit about me because I realize that some of you may not know who I am or what I do or why I do what I do. So I just want you to have that background on me so you can understand a little bit more about where I'm coming from. I grew up outside of Boston. I had a devoted mom, three siblings, and a father who was a really, really hard worker. When I was 16, I decided that I was going to go to medical school, and that was that, because a surgeon in a hospital was gracious enough to allow me to come into his operating room. And when I went into the operating room, I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So that's where the bug began. So I went off to Mount Holyoke College, an all-women's college in the 1970s, and I really enjoyed that. My parents never pushed me academically. They just encouraged me, but they never said, you need to be a doctor or you need to do this. And that was a time when feminism was just beginning to pick up some speed and momentum. And of course, at an all-women's college, I was right in the heart of that, and I felt that my job was to choose a profession, and to really excel at it. So it really was more, I guess, of peer pressure than my parents. So I went through college as pre-med and made out a bunch of medical school applications in my senior year and basically bombed. I sent out a lot of applications and every single one of them came back saying, thank you, but no thanks. And Actually, that was one of the best things that happened to me in my life, because let me tell you something that happened that was really pivotal to me, and I think this is a really important parenting lesson. I believed at 21 that I had failed in a colossal fashion. I had worked really hard for four years. I saw a lot of my female colleagues and friends go off and excel at their professions. I felt really pretty stuck. So I went home to live at my parents, and I went out for a jog to kind of clear my head and try to figure out, okay, what is your plan B and plan C? I didn't even have one. And I walked into my house, and I heard my dad talking on the telephone. My dad was an introvert and a very quiet man, so it was a little odd that he was talking to a friend on the phone in the evening. But being who I was and kind of a nosy female, I walked up to the door and I put my ear to the door and I began to listen and I heard him mention my name. And I heard him say a sentence that changed my life. This was right after every single medical school application was returned to me saying, you're not coming. I heard my dad say to whomever he was talking on the phone, my daughter Meg will be going to medical school in the next year or two. And I was stunned, absolutely stunned. But I want to tell you why that sentence was so pivotal. Because I heard in my dad's tone of voice, my daughter can do whatever she wants to do. And in that sentence, 
was communicated to me standing on the other side of the door, I believe in your ability to get to where you want to go. In that moment, I knew that I was going to go to medical school. You know why? Because my dad believed I was going to go. Now, my mother always told me I'd go, but I kind of passed that off because I thought, well, my mom has to say those things because she's my mother and she has to be my number one fan, but my dad has a choice. Now, this is just kid thinking, but that's how a lot of kids think. And I did go to medical school a year or two later, and I ended up going to my father's alma mater, University of Cincinnati, and on his 25th anniversary of graduation from medical school, I graduated from the very same medical school, and it was a really, really cool moment for both my father and I. So that was a real changing moment in my life because it gave me a sense that I could really excel at anything I wanted to excel at. Went off to medical school. I met and married my husband, been married almost 35 years, met and married him within a nine-month period of time. What was I thinking? I don't know, but it was one of the best moves that I ever made in my life. And in my fourth year of medical school, I became pregnant and delivered our very first child. I want to tell you, though, that during those years in medical school, in my first years of marriage, I was a pill. I was a pill with a capital P. I was driven. I knew where I wanted to go. I was very hard to live with. I knew I wanted children, and so we started young. But I was really, really hard on my husband. I decided that I really wanted to be a surgeon, and I wanted to go back to Boston. He wanted to be a family practice doc and live in the Midwest, and the fireworks began to fly. Well, we had our first daughter. I graduated medical school. He graduated medical school. And we looked at each other and he said, listen, we have trouble here. We have a six-month-old daughter and two physicians who need to finish their training. And when you do residency training, no matter what you're in, you go three or four years and you basically work 80 to 90 hours a week. And that's why they call it residency, because you literally live at the hospital. And he said, it really isn't fair to our daughter for both of us to be working so hard. And he came up with an idea, another pivotal moment in my life. He said, I know if I go first and finish residency and you stay home and parent our daughter, there's a chance you may not go back and finish your residency. And I don't want that to happen. So he said, I'll stay home with our daughter and you go first and you work your 90 hours a week. You finish residency. I worked at a very large children's hospital, didn't end up going the surgery route, decided to be a pediatrician later on. And he stayed home and was Mr. Mom for three and a half years while I did my residency training. And it's important to realize that my attitude about my life and my profession and what I wanted to do before that time was very, very self-centered. I was hard on my husband, and he realized that it wasn't helpful for us to both be working, and so he sacrificed three and a half years, and he stayed home with our children. And I'll tell you, it was one of the richest times, the sweetest time in our marriage and our family life. During those years, I worked at a children's hospital in Wisconsin, very, very busy hospital. I was pregnant every year. So I had two children, and I was pregnant with our third, finished my residency, and my husband and I then moved back to New England. He finished his residency, 
and I went and stayed home with our children, and it worked very, very well for us. After he was done with his training, we decided that we wanted to work together. So we moved to northern Michigan, set up a practice together. He was an internal medicine and pediatrics doctor, and I was straight pediatrics. So in 1990, we set up a practice. And over the past 30 years, we've grown it to seven physicians in our practice, and we've loved working together. Now, picture this. During this time, this is in the 1990s, we're raising our four kids. We have three older daughters, and we have a son. And I was seeing a lot of teenagers who in our small, beautiful town, we weren't living in a big city, we didn't, I didn't see a lot of high-risk kids, I became very upset about the overt sexualization of kids, which was really picking up steam in the early and the later 90s. And I saw this happening, and it bothered me as a mom that everywhere my young kids turned, the clothing was so sexualized, that movies were so sexualized, that everywhere my young kids turned, they were being sold sex. Now, this bothered me, but what really bothered me more was what I was seeing in teenagers behind closed doors. I began seeing teenagers who were being sexually active. I was disturbed because they were sexually active at a very young age. I was disturbed because I was seeing a lot of infections amongst kids. I was seeing pregnancy among kids. And I saw this enormous disconnect between what was happening in my kids' lives outside of my practice and what was happening behind closed doors. In other words, sex was being sold to our kids as something fun and natural and creative and encouraging kids to explore and experiment and do whatever they wanted to do. But behind closed doors, I was seeing the result of all that. So I began to collect some medical data on how sex at 14 and 15 and 16 with multiple partners, was harmful for kids emotionally and physically. And I literally began to just go around to schools and I went to parenting meetings and eventually ended up writing a book and talking about this. And that launched for me a whole new career in speaking and writing. It was never a career that I set out to have. Now, there's a story that I need to tell you, and you'll understand why I felt so passionate about teaching what I was teaching and writing about what I was writing about. One day, I had a little girl in my office who was 13, almost 14 years old, baby, just a little baby kid. She had two sexual partners. Of course, they were much older than she was. And she came into my office, and she was very distraught, and she was crying. And I said, well, what's, what's wrong? And she said, well, I just came from the gynecology doctor. I don't think she even knew what the word gynecology meant. And she told me that I have to have surgery. And I said, well, what kind of surgery do you have to have? Well, she said, well, I have cervical cancer. And I don't really know what that is, but I know that I have cancer. And she's going to do surgery. And I'm just really, really scared. And I said, well, honey, did she tell you why you have cancer? And she looked at me, she said, no, don't you just get cervical cancer? And I said, well, no, the only way you get cervical cancer is by having sex with somebody who has the virus 
human papillomavirus, or HPV, and her eyes became big as saucers, and she said, are you kidding me? She said, well, I haven't had much sex. I, I have a boyfriend, and you know, my boyfriend and I want to get married, and I just did fool around once or twice with another guy, but that's it. That's it. How could I have gotten an infection that's given me cancer? And I learned that this young girl, shortly before her 14th birthday, she was in the eighth grade, was going to have the most of her cervix removed, and from then on, she was going to be a high-risk pregnancy. And I was mad. And I said, I need to be about the business of teaching people. I did some research. I found there were an epidemic of diseases and pregnancies amongst children, and nobody was talking about it. The Center for Disease Control knew it was there. When I went to their website, the first thing that hit me was tracking the hidden epidemic amongst teenagers. What's the epidemic? Sexually transmitted infections. Over the years, I have taken care of literally thousands of patients, and I have seen over those years a disturbing trend of kids having sex younger ages, kids having multiple partners, the number of infections rising to now 2016, we have over 35 sexually transmitted infections. And in 1970, we had two, as in one, two. Then I became interested in teenagers and helping them navigate a culture that doesn't like them very much. So I began to take care of girls who had eating disorders and girls who had, and boys who had some depression and anxiety. And I watched over the years the age at which kids were experiencing depression to drop into single digits and kids who were eight, nine years old coming in with anxiety, and I began to search for answers, and I began to find a pattern emerge. I began to see that the kids who had engaged dads and moms were the kids who overcame their depression and anxiety faster, who recovered from eating disorders faster, who were more likely to stay away from all the high-risk behaviors, sex, drugs, and alcohol during the teen years. And then I said, here's the answer for the kids. If I want to do something really good for these kids, I have to help their parents. And that's why I write to parents because I realized very early on in my career, I need to come next to them, to gird them, to teach them, to encourage them. And particularly, I've been doing over the past number of years, many, many talks and writing posts and writing books to fathers because I saw another disturbing disconnect in our culture, and that is fathers are so critical to the emotional and physical and intellectual health of children. And yet everywhere you turn, fathers have become the butt of many, many jokes. What do you see in the media? A gradual dumbing down of dads in movies, in music, in Father's Day cards, everywhere you turn, but from where I sit behind closed doors, getting fathers engaged and educated and encouraging fathers is the answer to many, many of their children's ills. And so then I began encouraging fathers, and I have done that over the past number of years. Now I'm a grandmother. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I said, okay, I know that the best thing that I can do for kids is to encourage and teach their parents. 
But I see parents so much more stressed out today than when I was parenting my kids. And that's the truth. You moms and dads have it much harder than when my husband and I and my peers were parenting our kids. You have more to contend with. You have a tough culture to navigate your kids through. You have issues like electronics and cell phones. You need help more than ever. And this is what I decided to do. I see so many parents who are so stressed about so much stuff that I said, if I can encourage parents to pull back a little bit, focus on the big stuff, and get a few things right, get the big stuff right over the course of 18 years of parenting their kids. If I can help them focus on those things and really stop worrying about the small stuff and enjoy their kids more, be more effective parents, be happier parents, be less stressed parents, then maybe I can really help their kids. And so I created the Strong Parent Project. It's kind of like a school for parents. And my first online course is called 12 Principles of Raising Great Kids. These are the principles, 12 principles, that if you pay attention to getting these things right from the time your child's born until the time they leave home at 18 years old or 20, then you win with your kids. You enjoy your kids. You stand a great chance of raising a great adult who wants to be with you when they're 25 and 30, who you have a great friendship with with when they're older, and they enjoy you, and you enjoy being with them. From that is when I began to do the podcast, because I wanted to talk directly to you in the privacy of your home. So I fundamentally wanted you to know about why I do what I do, and I know today that you have all the power in your child's life. I know you worry about computers and the internet or you know, music artists influencing your kids. I know you worry about peers pressuring your kids to do the wrong thing. I'm here to tell you the influence all of those people have over your child pales in comparison to the influence you have over your child. Parents, I am here to help you claim your rightful power that you need to claim in order to change your child's life for the better. You're the one who can do it. You want coaches to, you want teachers to, you want counselors to, you want a pastor to. I'm telling you, moms and dads, the answer for your child's problems begin and end with you. This is my heart, and this is my gift to you. This is my joy and my pleasure. I still practice pediatrics. I love seeing patients. But fundamentally, what I hope to do for you friends in these podcasts is to give you some solid teaching, some solid principles that really work. I've been at this over 30 years, and I've seen literally thousands of kids over those 30 years. I know these principles work. When you apply them, you get results. You're going to try them once or twice or three times, and you're going to feel that you're failing at the beginning. Don't worry about it keep going. My job is to teach you, to encourage you, to help you enjoy your kids, to help you relax a little bit more, and to help you feel really good about your parenting. And I want to say something at the end. You're wired with everything you need 
to parent your son or your daughter, whether you're a single mom or a married mom or a single dad or a grandparent raising your grandkids, you have everything you need right now to do a really good job with your kids. My job, if you will, is to come along and put a little spark to all of the wiring that you already have. So to every single one of my listeners out there, maybe this is the sixth time you've listened, maybe you've read all my books and maybe you know me and you've heard me on radio, or maybe you've never heard of me and this is the very first time that you're listening to a podcast because somebody made you. Thank you for listening. I am so honored and privileged to have your ear. I love kids, and I love parents, and I love parenting. So I am honestly humbled and so appreciative that you are here listening to me. So won't you join me again? This is Dr. Meg Meeker. And until next time, I need you to remember that great kids are raised, not born. Thanks for listening to Parenting Great Kids. And don't forget to visit MegMeekerMD.com and click on the Strong Parent Project. If you'd like to tell us what you think, write us a review. And to catch future episodes, be sure to click subscribe. And as always, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MegMeeker. 